and start at verse 18. Let's stand, all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. God give understanding to his word as we preach it this morning. Let's take a moment and pause and take a moment in prayer. After a word of prayer, a choir will come with special music and then the preaching of God's word for today. And then after preaching of God's word, we're going to have our time of communion together. So let's bow now in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your power, your grace. You're keeping us through this week, many activities involved, Lord, and we just thank you for watching us over. We think of the funeral uh, yesterday and watching over us during that time, and we thank you for the grace to minister to this family. We pray for Trinae's and for Dale and for their family and the going home of their mom. We just pray that you would be with them through this grieving process, that you would allow them to um, to work through it with an understanding of your truth and the hope that comes from your word. Allow them to be a testimony to that family, Lord, and we pray, Lord, that many might get saved as a result of, of their testimony and hearing the gospel here. We do pray for Cal and Marge and their loved one who has passed away and the grieving that they experienced in their family. We pray that you would be with us as we um, Look forward to that funeral coming up, and you would help us to minister to them with the gospel and in very practical ways. And we thank you for this day. We pray that you give us understanding in your word. Help us to, to, to uh, help me to speak clearly so that your word is communicated. May your Holy Spirit um, yield his power to your word today and yield fruit in our hearts and in our lives. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we started our Christmas series, and we noted that we would be looking at four individuals. They happen to all be women. Four women in the line of Christ is our series. The first one we looked at was Tamar. We're getting this from the Gospel of Matthew. So let me read the first couple verses in Matthew. 
It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Let me stop right there. We'll show on our screen. Um, I know the names are small, but we're going to go through the line starting with Abraham, and you can see those names mentioned there. So let me start again at verse 2 of Matthew chapter 1. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king, and David the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. I'm going to pause there because that covers the lineage that we'll be looking at. So you can see the line of the Lord Jesus Christ and how it goes through this portion of it. That's not the full line, but it goes from Abraham there to Solomon. And you can read further in Matthew chapter 1 and uh, get the rest of that. But we noticed, and I put in red on the screen, the, the names of the three of the four women that are in the line of Christ. And there's a lesson here. The Christmas story is the story of Christ. It shows God's sovereignty, his power, his love, and his grace. In his sovereignty, God brings about his plan to bring his son into the world in difficult, sinful, chaotic, and wicked circumstances. I say it this way, God brings his son into a world of mess, through a people of mess, and to a people of mess. What grace. His power overcomes every human and spiritual obstacle and places what mankind needs, a ruler that will rule in righteousness and power. His love brings to mankind what is desperately needed and lacking, a savior, a deliverer to shepherd his people out of love. His grace, by his grace, God provides in Christ what mankind does not deserve and cannot provide for itself, and that is one who forgives and saves his people from sin. We see this picture uh, vividly displayed to us when we look at the lives of these four women. And today, let's take a look at the life of Rahab. One of the interesting things that we will notice about Rahab is what the Bible says about her and always refer to her. And you know her probably if, if you grew up with me like the King James Version is she's known as Rahab the harlot. We use the ESV today and she's no better term Rahab the prostitute because that is what she was. Let's take a look at what the Bible reveals about her. We see her in the line um, 
that it is Salmon with Rahab and the child that came from that union is Boaz who later married Ruth and we get that from our Matthew account. Now who is this Rahab and what are we to learn about her? In Joshua chapter 2 verse 1 turn there with me. Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies saying go view the land especially Jericho and they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Now you wouldn't think you'd come to church today and hear a sermon about a prostitute. You probably wouldn't think that you'd see in the Bible a story about a prostitute, let alone a story where she is the, the main figure in this story. And we find out that Jesus Christ himself came from a line that included her. Now, the Bible doesn't try to cover that up. Not only does it not try to cover up, it brings it to us intentionally so we might get insight into the mind of God. This is part of the Christmas story so we might gain insight into God's grace. We would think, you know, we tell a story once upon a time there was a young prince of noble descent. And we would say how he came from a line of kings and princes. And that was true with Jesus. But it's also true that in his line were people like Rahab. I want you to see, I asked the question when I looked at this, why, why a prostitute? Why does God put in the line of his son when God decided he's going to bring a savior and that he's the only one that could fit that description and he says my son I will send from heaven to be the savior of mankind why does he bring him through this line that includes a prostitute let's look at this one and gain insight now you need to know that the history of Israel, when God sent Moses as the deliverer, and Moses was preparing them to go into the promised land, he sent 12 spies to search out the land. And you know that story, that 10 of the spies came back with the same old excuse, oh, this is too big, this is a great land, but the people are giants, we'll never win. We can never do this. And two spies came back with a positive report. Remember who those two were? Joshua and Caleb. Keep those in mind. We're going to tie into that story in a bit. Now Joshua eventually became the leader after Moses. And now he is going to be the one that actually takes them into the land. And as they're going into this, they... God has for them this first walled city of Jericho. And Joshua now sends two spies, not 12, he sends two spies into this city to check it out. And here is that account. So we pick up here 
at verse 1 of Joshua chapter 2. I read part of it. Let me just read it again. He says, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Now, there are certain things that, that catch my attention when I read that. First of all, oftentimes the Bible will use a character and not even give you his or her name. But her name is mentioned because she's a prominent figure. Verse 2, it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when, they, when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, or you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So we see something going on here that helps us see who this Rahab is and what's happening in her life. First of all, we see her faith. Her faith. She believes when others simply feared. So if you read on in the story, you realize that she hid these two spies, and when the king came to discover them, she, she didn't tell on them. She, hid, she, she kept them safe. And then she has a conversation with the spies, and I want you to, to get in on that conversation. Verse 8, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Now, I want you to, to recognize when the Old Testament uses the term Lord and capitalizes, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's like the proper name for God. It's Jehovah. And I mention that because this is a woman from a, a, a Canaanite land, and, and she is not from Israel, and so her culture teaches her to worship many Little gods, we would call them. Gods with the little g. But she says something specifically. She says, I know, she knows something now, that the Lord, Jehovah God, has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord, Jehovah, dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you went out, when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. I want you to notice, she's saying our, first person plural, is that she's not the only one who feels this way, but all the folks around Jericho and all that region were afraid. So she was afraid, but we see something more than just fear. We see faith. 
the difference between fear and faith. Now, I know the Bible says that we ought to fear God. We ought to have an awesome respect for God, for who he is, his power, his authority. Um, but faith includes something that goes with that and, and, and takes that another step. Because there, actually in America, if you think about it, there are few people who actually declare, them, declare themselves as atheists, who don't think God actually exists. Most people understand that he exists. They may not know all who he is. They may not respect him and, and certainly don't worship him. But most people acknowledge it has to be some being or some power. She goes beyond that. She says, I know this Lord Jehovah is the one that took you out of Egypt. And I know he's the one, that's, his power is behind your deliverance, and he has a plan to take you into the land that he promised you, and he's going to accomplish this. Now, to that point, she probably stood with most of the people in Jericho. They saw that, and they feared. What's different about her? You see, it's more than just understanding or acknowledging that God exists. It's more than even reading in the Bible and knowing his name and knowing who he is or what he's done. She takes another step. Let's take a look at it. Verse 11, And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there's no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, here's her comment, the Lord your God, Jehovah your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So she acknowledges that it's God, Jehovah God, who is ruler and sovereign over all things. But then we see where faith comes in. It's not just head knowledge. Verse 12, now then, <laughs> I like that part, now then. then. If that's true, what should it urge you and I to do? What does she do that we ought to do? Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with me, with my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you will Save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. What does she do there? She says, I know. She says, I heard. She says, I fear like everybody else. But she says, I trust. It's one thing to acknowledge that God is one to be feared. It's another then to then reach to him and ask and, 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 and beg him to deliver you and trust that he is the kind of God that mercifully, mercifully saves those who come to him. The Bible says those who come to him he will in no wise cast out. See, something was going on in her heart, and we call it faith. She acknowledges God, but she also turns to God for her deliverance. 
you have to recognize that God is a gracious and merciful God that seeks to deliver all who come to him. And you can read on in this story, and you're going to realize that all of Jericho, the, 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 the walls fell down flat, and they were destroyed. But one group of people was saved. One group of people was saved. Let's see how that happened. So the men listened to her. These two spies said, okay, we got you. Verse 15 says, then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall. Can you get a picture of that? The city is fortified by this wall around it, and it was a great city. It was known all around that, that hey, nobody can, can get in there. And her house was built into the wall of the city. Isn't that something? <laughs> now, it, it, yeah, I don't know about you, but I, I'm like, wow, she, here's a prostitute who has a house right on the city wall, you know, you can imagine how her business was going. She could reach out to folks in and the folks out. She was well known in the area. And the king knew who she was and knew what she was about. Kind of tells you a little bit about the wickedness of that nation, doesn't it? But it says that she agreed and she let these men down by a rope because her home was built into their rock and so she was on the outside of that wall and they let themselves down through the rope. Can you, can you see that? Long rope and a cord and they climbed down and they escaped into the, uh, the nearby area. And this is what they say. She said to them, verse 16, go into the hill Go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you've made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. <laughs> I want to say, first of all, that her faith led to action. She protected and hid these two spies. She pleaded for her own safety and for her entire family. Notice how her faith now caused her to reach out to others. <laughs> you can imagine, the men tell her, look, okay, that's our agreement. Since you protected us, then we will save you and your family. And she tells them, he tells, or they tell her, look, gather all of your family in this place. And this same scarlet rope that we climbed down to safety in, I want you to throw it over the side so that when we see this scarlet rope hanging down, we will save everybody in that household. Doesn't that remind you of something? Even the color of it, doesn't that remind you of something? It's a scarlet rope. It's a rope of deliverance. It's the rope the color of blood, isn't it? And they're saying, when we see that rope, we'll pass over it. We will save everybody in there. Now, guess what she had to do? Can you imagine after they left, you know, the king came to her, and she, you, we see that story. And they said, well, you know, 
well, I don't know who they were, and I don't know where they went, but they ain't here no more. And, and she hid them, but something happened after that scene. This shows her true faith. You would think if she didn't believe this, then after they left, she'd be packing up, she'd be, you know, taking all her stuff and moving somewhere out of Jericho, right? She stayed there. Not only did she stay there, but she went to all of her family and the prostitute preaches. She tells all her family, look, this is going to happen. This is what God's going to do. And this is your saving. You come into this house and you stay in this house and this scarlet rope over the side of my house is what's going to save us. Now, you don't got to come if you don't want to. But if you're here, you're going to be saved. Something has happened in the life of a prostitute. I believe she probably lived on the wall so that she could proclaim her business everywhere she wanted to, and people can go in and out. But now her story has changed. What she talks about changed. And she is so struck with the reality of what God is doing that she begged for her life and for the life of her family. And she preached to all of her family and she drew them in and said, come with me to safety. Now this didn't happen right away. Because the men waited three days to those who were pursuing them from the king, gave up, and then they went back to Israel's headquarters and they told Joshua, can you imagine Joshua? They told Joshua, yeah, it went good. Where did y'all stay? Well, we stayed in the house of a prostitute. What? <laughs> yeah, we made a deal with her. <laughs> huh? Yeah, yeah, we told her, look, that because she helped us out, that uh, we'd save all her household. Joshua, you know what Joshua did? <laughs> Joshua said, that's okay. That's cool. <laughs> We're going to do that. Joshua believes a prostitute. But not just any old prostitute. This is testimony in the life of Christ in the line of Christ, of how God is doing things. God can work in any life. There is no life too low for him. There is no sin that's gone too far that he cannot save. There's no past that's so messed up that he can't step in and do his work. Why? Because he is the Lord God who made everything and has all that power. He, he has a purpose and a plan to save just like this. I want you to notice in this line, if we can show that again. Take us a moment just to get it up. Yeah, we'll show it again when they get it up. Here it is. First Chronicles kind of lets us see this line, and I, I want to turn there. First Chronicles chapter 2, 
And I want you to see something. Looked at this last week, and so we'll, we'll look at it briefly again today. First Chronicles chapter 2. Last week we looked at it in regard to, to Judah's, Judah's family. And you know, Judah had the three sons, and two of them died because the Lord took them. And uh, then we saw Judah's sin, and, and he and Tamar, which was actually his daughter-in-law. And we said that story, and out of the union of Judah and Tamar, two boys were born. They were twins. The one's name was Perez, and the other, Zerah. Then the line follows Perez to Hezron, and Hezron, we are told, has three sons, Jeremiel, Ram, and Shulubai. Shulubai is an interesting name, and I just, I just save you bunches of, of study and research. It's Caleb. <laughs> it's the same Caleb. If you read through Second Chronicles, you'll gather that. You kind of see from the, it's just a different spelling of the same Caleb that we know, who was one of the spies with Joshua, who gave the good report back to Moses. Now, they were part of those group of 12 spies. But I want you to see the line of Christ doesn't follow the line of Caleb or Jeremiah. It follows this guy, Ram. And then we go to Abinadab, Nashon, and Solomon. So it's interesting. Caleb is in this line. And you remember Caleb because he was, he was a good spy. And now we come into Jericho and we see Rahab. And I just wanted you to see how those two connect. That they're living in the same time, but the line of Christ comes from Ram. And his descendant is Solomon. And it's Solomon that Matthew, the Matthew account, uh, the Gospel of Matthew tells us that Solomon who is married to Rahab, and now she bears a child whose name is Boaz. And next week we'll look at Boaz and Ruth in that connection. I want you to see how God includes this Rahab in his line. Now let's, let's go I had you turn to Second Chronicles, and the verse there is verse 9, where you see the, the last person listed, and just wanted to let you know that that person is Caleb. Read through the chapter, and you'll see in verse 42, you'll see his, his brother. It says, the sons of Caleb, the brother of Jeremiel. And so you see, this is this guy here, and this is his brother. You can read on through, and you see that interaction there. Now let me take you back to Joshua, if I would. Um, back to Joshua chapter 6. 
So we saw the plan that God had for, for Israel in, in having victory over the city of Jericho. Now we see the execution of it. And it's simple. The execution of this, God told them, I want you to take a small group uh, of men. I want them to march around the city of Jericho once for six days. And then on the seventh day, I'm going to have them march around seven times. And at the end of that seventh time, I want them to call out and shout, and I'm going to bring these walls down. And so this is what they did, and it says here, verse 16 of Joshua chapter 6, at, at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers who, whom we sent. Now, this is a case where now her title, Rahab the prostitute, it, it's, it's with her with every name. Every time she's named, it's just about reminding her of that. But it's not a derogatory name anymore because it's what she used to be. And it's a picture of God's grace and how he saves. If you could, um, turn with me. We'll probably come back to this in a moment. But turn with me to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You know where I'm going. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says this. Do you not know that the, right, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. See, that, that's, that, that's what he's talking about with Rahab. That's what you used to be before God gave you saving faith to trust in Christ and transformed your life. Such were some of you. See, that, that's, that's how we used to live. And so now when it refers to Rahab, Rahab the harlot, it's like, yeah, Rahab the prostitute. You know what she was used to be about. But now she's a woman of faith that God includes in, not only includes in Scripture and gives her her name, but reminds us every time we see her name that God changed her life entirely and blessed her to be in the line of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember when I was a little kid, I used to hear my father preach, and I always used to think, what, what if our names were in the Bible? I see Abraham, and I see Moses, and, and I see these great men. I said, what if our names were ever in the Bible? Imagine that. 
not only is her name in the Bible, but it's in the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, and you can see, you know that chapter as the hall of faith, don't you? Imagine that. Not only is she in Scripture, but she's in the hall. <laughs> it says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, keep in mind the first two words of that verse, by faith. Rahab's faith. She trusted. She, she found out something about God. And actually, the, the thing that was revealed to her about God was revealed to all the people in Jericho. That's why they feared. But something was different. She didn't just have fear. She had true faith. And she reached out to the men in that way, reaching to God and saying, Lord, save me. She believed that God could save her. And God, in his purpose and his plan, wasn't by accident. It wasn't kind of like, oh, well, maybe we'll try this. God had purposed and planned to bring her into his family and to bring her into the line that brought the Savior of the world. Why does God use a person like a prostitute? Why does he change the lives of even that? We would consider that one of the lowest part of, of, of occupation or uh, activity that a person could be involved in. I've had the opportunity in my life to speak with a prostitute. I've never, <laughs> I've never been with a prostitute. But since I grew up in the hood, we used to see people all the time. And I remember my parents lived in a place that, that the neighborhood had gone bad and they wanted to sell their house and move out of that neighborhood. They couldn't even sell their house, it was so bad. What they had to do is buy another home and basically almost just abandon that house. And I was a young man, married at the time, and, and uh, I would ride by and watch over that house. Making, trying to make sure people weren't breaking into it and doing bad things in it. And I was, I was on my job, and I was in a company car, and I was out in the field as an engineer, and I had the opportunity to go by there. And I would go by there whenever I could and drive. And I would, I would I'd see people sitting on the steps, and I'd, hey, you got to get, get out of here. You can't sit here. This is my house. And I would do that. And one time I came by, and a prostitute waved me down. I'm like, I knew who she was. And I stopped. And she said, come here, come here, come here, come here. And she went to tell me what was going on in that house. She knew who I was. <laughs> she said, you know your parents' house? Yeah, they breaking in it at night. And they taking stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, she knew who I was. One of the things I say about a person in the street, they, they, they become good readers. They, they, they can read you. They, they know who they're dealing with. She knew who I was doing. Well, she was an honest person, a person looking out to help. Sometimes people are trapped in their sin. And God says, there is no sin 
that is so great that I can't step into and transform a life. There's no cause that's too far gone that I cannot change. And so Rahab's name, when you see the prostitute on the end of it, you're reminded of the power and the grace of God. And dare any of us say God can't do what he has already said he can and will do. God did not have to choose that type of woman. You know, some people are, are taken back with the story of Mary, who we call the Virgin Mary, and she's a virtuous woman, and we, we, we show her as that, as that which we should be. We don't have to apologize for that, but we need to know that she is one who waited for the Lord's promise and she trusted in the Lord, and that's shown by her steadfast character. But we see on the other side that, that those who are in sin, when God changes their life and changes their heart, he saves them too. Now, some people say the church is a place where you should come as you are. Well, you can come as you are, but you can't stay as you are. Because God transforms the heart. He transforms the life. And so now the prostitute title is just one that, that, that is on there to show the power of God, not the character of the person anymore. It used to show her character. People imagine walk around the walls of Jericho, and yeah, you see that, that little window where the scarlet cord hanging down? That's where the prostitute lives. No more. That wall has been broken. But there was a, star, a scarlet rope that hung down that saved everybody out of it. That scarlet rope is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He saves. It's a picture of God's grace and his mercy. When we don't deserve it, he came and delivered us. Boy of Christmas. It's the story of God's sovereignty, his grace, and his power to reach to all parts of mankind and to save. First Corinthians chapter 1 says, There's not many mighty, or chapter 2, not many noble who are called. God saves ordinary people, sinful people like me and like you and changes them from the Rahab the harlot to Rahab in the line of Christ. We, you know, some, some churches call Mary the mother of God. Well, if you're going to use that title, you could say Rahab the mother of God as well. She's in the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. She is. God changed her life, transformed her. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your power. How you reach out to sinful man. And you said when you took your son and sent him to earth, you told Joseph that he was to call this child Jesus because he would save his people from their sin. I thank you for saving me, Father, from my sin and from my circumstances. I thank you from delivering me. I thank you for all who you have delivered and all who you will deliver. You're still saving today. Thank you for this reminder 
in your salvation today. And now, Lord, as we take communion tonight or today, we remember that your blood has been shed for our sins. Jesus lived a sinless life because we could not live sinlessly. And now he gives us the power to live and give glory to him. We thank you, Father. Be with us now as we take in communion. May we do it to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask our, if uh, Cliff and Brian will come forward with me. We are a bit short-staffed today. We have two of our leaders on vacation. I don't know why I let them do that. Both of them go. I, they, they're going to listen to this tape, I know. Both of them went to the same place on the same day. And, and uh, I hope y'all enjoying yourself. <laughs> but we're a little shorthanded today, but that's okay. We will have communion. Let me remind us that communion is for those who know Christ as their Lord and Savior. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that we are to be cautious as we take communion. We are to examine ourselves. So if you are a parent and you have a small child, don't allow them to take communion yet. Wait until they are old enough to understand and to uh, know that they've been born again and show the fruit of that new birth in their own lives. If you're a believer, you're welcome to be a part with us today. And uh, we recognize what Christ has done for us in communion. We recognize that he went to the cross. We look, we look at two elements with communion. The Bible says that that bread, in our case it's a wafer, represents his body and that, and that wine, in our case a juice, represents his blood. His body was prepared for him so that he would be a human savior and he went to the cross and shed his blood for our sins so that he might be the redeemer of mankind and all who would trust in him. I'm going to start with a word of prayer. I'm going to ask Brian if he would just um, pray for us as we prepare for communion, that our hearts might be open, repentant. Those who take it would um, be in the right frame of mind as we receive communion today. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be called to be your people, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that um, you save us, um, and there is no amount of sins that can outweigh the power of your salvation. So we thank you for that, Lord. We pray that you would just open our eyes to be serious about your communion, Lord. The communion, um, the, even the word communion talks about fellowship. And so we want to make sure, Lord, that our hearts are in fellowship with you and your mission. And so, Lord, help us to be serious about accomplishing your will and not accomplishing our own will. As we learn in Sunday school, Lord, selfishness and self-seeking, that's the, the heart of Satanism. But it is the selfless service and de devotion to Jesus Christ. That is what Christianity is, Lord. So help us to aspire to that, Lord. If we have ought against our brother or sister, Lord, help us to resolve that issue. Help us not to be those who just keep on going week after week, not taking communion and not resolving the issues that you brought to our mind. That would be someone who does not want to have fellowship with you, Lord. So help us to not be those. Help us to be those who resolve those conflicts so that we can boldly come up 
and take communion, remembering that you're going to eat with us again one day. In your name we pray, amen. amen. So we're also going to pray for the elements that we receive. We're going to ask Cliff if he give thanks to uh, God for the wafer that represents Jesus' body and for the juice that represents his blood. Heavenly Father, Lord, we following you and for remembrance, Lord. So we pray for the wafer that we take that represents your body, Lord. And we pray for the juice that we take that represents your blood that was needed for the remission of our sins. So we thank you. So we have a small setting today, and uh, we're going to ask you to follow these directions that I'm going to give you right now. Um, what we're going to ask is that starting in the back, we're going to start with rows and come out the side. If you would come forward, we have the two elements here. They're all in one container. So if you wish to take communion today, you will take that one container, walk along the side, come up to the front from the table, take a container, and go back through the center aisle to your seat. Because of this movement, we're going to ask that everyone come up, even if you're not going to take communion, that would just help us in our flow. But again, just because you come up here, don't feel that you need to take communion. In fact, I warn you that if you should not take communion, do not. That is a judgment that you have to take. And we normally read 1 Corinthians 11, but let me just refer to that. Paul admonishes the believers in Corinth that many of them had a self-centered attitude. And if, in fact, they were truly believers, they had a wrong heart and need to repent of that before they took communion. And he says, you need to examine yourselves. He didn't appoint me as the examiner because I can't read your heart. But you ought to examine yourself and to see if, in fact, that um, the Holy Spirit has given you the okay to receive communion today. You need to be saved trusting in Christ as Lord and Savior. And he says, now, if you take it with a wrong purpose and a wrong attitude, you bring judgment on yourself. And he said, in fact, that many of, the, 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 of those in that fellowship had gotten sick and become sick and had some had even died as a part of God's judgment because they took communion and, and lived in a way that wasn't pleasing to God. So... I extend that warning because it is a serious one and one that you have to take seriously and you are responsible for, for doing that for yourself. So again, our instructions, if you are um, going to take communion as you come, go ahead and, and, and take the cup and back to your seat and then I'll give instructions for all of us to take it at the same time. Even if you're not taking communion, if you would follow the, the flow of traffic so that all can, can flow well. Let's direct from the back. Our men will direct there. Both trays on both sides of me have the same thing. So if you will come now from the back a row at a time. You take up the element, return to your seat, and we'll continue with our instructions for communion. to your seats. We just started to use these new containers, so let me explain how they work. If you lift up the first tab, 
There are actually two sealed tabs. The first tab uh, exposes the wafer, and so you can open that without opening the cup, possibly. Doesn't always work that way. Sometimes you open it and the whole cup is revealed. That's how mine works. So my wafer is under here, and my cup is open. So there is a tab. This represents, there's nothing magical in this element itself. You're not going to be wiser, more spiritual, or, or blessed in some special way as you eat this. But what we are doing is remembering Christ. It's appropriate in December as we, we uh, celebrate the birth of Christ, that Jesus came out of heaven and he took on a human body so that he could die for our sins. This represents his body that he took for the purpose of dying for us, those who believe in him. Let's take it and eat together. This represents his blood. He went to the cross and he shed his blood for our sin. That means he suffered. It also means that he died. Not that he just felt bad or was hurt, but that he literally died from his suffering as a payment for our sin. We remember Christ's love. We remember his sacrifice. We drink it together to remember Christ. The reason that's appropriate even at a funeral service and it's appropriate for us today. Let's remember Christ as we celebrate communion, as we go throughout this season that the world celebrates and doesn't even know what it celebrates. Mary has the idea or the thought of joyful. Christmas is two words, Christ and Mass, or the celebration of Christ. Our greeting is that we might have a joyful celebration of Christ. The world tries to mimic the joy and the celebration but they don't have Christ. Without Christ, there's no hope and, and no reason for celebration and joy. But because of Christ, entirely, we have reason for hope and celebration. Now, Christians, we ought to party like nobody's business because we know what Christ has done. He's taken away my sin. He's given me eternal life. He's made me his child his own son and I will live eternally. I will reign like a king in heaven because of Jesus. Let's remember Christ as we go throughout this season where the world has forgotten what it's really all about. Let us remember and let us celebrate and let us worship Christ together. And I close you with this Merry Christmas.